everyone. I'm Alexa. And I'm Catherine. And we're the girls behind Tickets, Please. And on today's episode, we're talking about the Before Sunrise trilogy. Do you feel like every time you run your hand through any part of your hair that you have multiple pieces of hair in your hand? Yeah. Okay. I'm starting to like get a little concerned. I shed, I have always, the hair that falls out of my head since I was like 13 is remarkable. I, you should see the hair that comes out of my head when I shower. Thank you. It's incredibly concerning, but I, I know that every time I go and get my hair cut, she still tells me how thick my hair is. Same. Okay. This is, I'm so glad we're having this conversation because I never thought to have it with someone who shares my DNA. (laughs) (laughs) You, if you spend the day with your hair up, like in a ponytail or a bun or whatever, when you take that hair tie out, are there like 30 hairs? I actually don't use that for that reason. I, first of all, I find that it breaks my hair a little more than I would like. So I use scrunchies all the time. I need to get a scrunchie. It's not a big, it's like, it's a little one. It's a thin one. I can picture it. But it's got the cloth around it. So it's not just the rubber band in my hair. So that when you. I don't find when I take, take it out, it doesn't. No, there's like no as many. Yeah, there's no. Oh, there's see no. mine. There will be hair no matter what, no matter what I use. I can oh, guarantee. Yeah. That. I guess because mine is straighter. So it's not like wrapping around the mm. hair tie. What an opening. So I know we just said in the opening before Sunrise Trilogy, but is has it been predetermined that there's only going to be three or are there going to be more or is it a mystery? It's a mystery. Okay. But my understanding is that when they did the first one, they didn't even have plans to do a second. That's actually what I was going to ask you, because being that the movies are set nine years apart and real nine years had elapsed in between, I had a suspicion that people must have lost their minds when the second one was coming out. I mean, I can't even imagine what that must have been like to have seen the first one, been such a big fan, and then know that they're going to make another one nine years later. I mean, people must have freaked out. What was that like? I I don't remember it, really. It's such a niche cult classic that I nobody in my life had seen it or was talking about it. It wasn't, it was in what was it 2003 so it's not like it was all there was no social media for it to be all over right so I don't really know Mm -hmm. but I have heard Ethan Hawke joke that it's the the lowest grossing trilogy in the history of film (laughs) (laughs) I think that even when they did the second one, they didn't necessarily plan to do a third one. Mm, okay, so it's very... And I've heard even after this, Ethan saying, yeah, it would be nice if we could get together in our old age and do a fourth one, uh-huh. but there's no actual plan in place for it. It's funny that you said that it's a, a cult classic trilogy because my perception of it was not that. I actually thought that these were like cheesy romance novel type. Oh, before you... Before I had seen them. Because I had heard of them. 
And the reason I'd heard of them is because I had a friend in high school whose mother loved them and lost her mind when the third one came out. And I remember her going alone to see it in the theater. And so I just had this fake perception without knowing anything about them that it was this mom cheesy romance like the, sort of like the nicholas sparks kind of yes i was very wrong when i watched the first one but so you said you hadn't seen all of them what was your story with them i in my head i had seen the first two mm-hmm. as i went to rewatch them i realized i had only seen the first one shut up yeah. really yeah <laughs> classic me <laughs> well i'm glad that you suggested it even still, I think they got better with each one. I, I knew how much I loved the first one and I knew how important they were to everyone who made them. So I knew that the other two were going to be made with that same intention and care. So you thought they got better with each one. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess we don't want to get there already. I don't want to lead us down that path. Um, <laughs> but I did. So tell me, tell me what your initial thought was. What, at what point in the first one did you realize, oh, this is different than what I was expecting? Um, pretty early on. Um, I think this, I think once they got off the train, because once they get off the train is when it really kicks into gear where it's because at first, you know, it was just a meet cute on the train. Right. At first. And when we watch movies, we always kind of, you know, we're a little at least speaking for myself. We're a little distracted. I have my phone. I'm kind of I'm watching, but not watching the moment they got off the train and really started. I was glued. I put I never picked up my phone again for the whole rest. I had to go back a couple of times to make sure that I was, it goes so fast and it never stops that you feel like you need to really be focused watching it. And so I had to adjust once they were off the train. Cause when they're on the train, it's just this, I mean, it feels the first conversation they have when they're sitting together and he talks about seeing the rainbow in the hose. It's, laying the groundwork that it's going to be more intellectual, I guess, in the writing. So I sort of picked it up from that. But then once it really began, I... Did you happen to read the trivia that it was based on a true experience? I hadn't, but I think you mentioned something about this when I said that I watched the first one. That's... That almost doesn't surprise me because it feels so organic and real that it, it almost seems you couldn't write it. I, I don't know. It's I have never seen a movie that feels like people talking. It feels like the two of them made the whole thing up. The actors. It feels like they made it up as they were going. And I know that they were large contributors to the script, which is very cool and very unique. It's unlike anything I've ever seen. It had been years since I saw the first one. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I had this thought previously where I thought to myself, some of this at least has to be improvisation. Like it's too natural. Yeah. It feels too much like a regular conversation. Yeah. And it turns out that no, none of it was improvisation. It was all specifically choreographed to interrupt each other, talk over each other, get off topic, come back to the topic, interject, it's, all that stuff. It seems unwritable. 
it doesn't even feel like a person could write that way and make it feel as organic as it does. Even when they run into people on the street, it seems like they're genuinely walking around Vienna and walked up to strangers. I wouldn't have been surprised if they told me that that was what happened. First thing they, when they talked to those guys on the bridge about their play (laughs) about the cow, I was like, there's no way someone wrote this. They just walked up to these guys and that happened to be what they were doing, but no, it's all written. I'm, I'm interested to hear you articulate how it made you feel, if that's even possible, because I don't know if I could do it, but because I want to know if it's a universal experience. So it's funny because I almost, I hate to say this, but I almost have already replaced the feeling of the first one with the next. It's so much. Every one Mm -hmm. of them is so jam-packed. I probably could have done an episode on each one. Just having watched one of them and 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 re- oh, reacted, I easily could. I thought I had a strong reaction to the first one, but then I watched the second, and then I watched the third, and realized my reactions were even stronger to those two. That I almost can't remember what. what and what's funny is that what they're saying. This movie could easily be interpreted as pretentious. What they say has a little air of pretentiousness, a little bit. But I don't feel it when they're talking. I don't feel they're being pretentious. I weirdly feel like they're the only ones I've ever seen in a movie talk about anything real, which is ridiculous. But that is what it felt like. And the fact that they were able to instantly disarm everything and be so present with each other as strangers. And then just the way it's shot. I think of that image when they're on the little like train or trolley or whatever they're sitting on. The movies are all, the the shots are so long. You almost forget that you're watching a movie. They're so long. Because even in the third one, not to totally jump, but like just to, this is one that comes to mind. When Jesse's having the conversation with the, with the guys on the, the little patio thing they're on, that scene is so long without cuts. I, I, halfway through it i'm like this scene is still going they haven't that was boring by the way (laughs) i could have dealt without that entire scene but (laughs) but that's why it came to mind because it was halfway through it and i was realizing like wow this scene is really long (laughs) to think of how they shot it to feel so continuous is remarkable I'm trying to see what notes I have for the first one, because as it went on, I took less notes because I was so enthralled that I barely wrote anything down. I had never seen Ethan Hawke in a movie, by the way. Really? Yeah. I didn't know he was so charming. Did you know he himself is an author? I didn't. He's written a bunch of fiction. Really? That I think was well received. I haven't read any of his books. So, so how, so you, I can't start any of these sentences <laughs> none of these sentences have endings <laughs> are you able to 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 articulate a feeling from the first one and get it going a, li- a little i can try okay the first thing i would say about all three of them is that they're so visually beautiful mm-hmm. it actually felt a lot like you know the other day i said to you that I realized you could watch Call Me By Your Name and pause it at yes. any tenth of a second and it's something you'd want to frame. Yes. This felt the same way to me. Yeah. Unless someone is an extreme cynic, it really allows you to explore and understand 
how two people, two strangers could fall in love in a matter of less than 24 hours. I think that that, if we're going to ridiculously oversimplify the, not the message, but the feeling of the first one, it is hope and it is romance and love. But not, and you're right. But mm-hmm. but romance almost feels like it cheapens it. It like does. It's not even romance, really. It's like true love is what it is. <laughs> no, yeah, there are no actual words to because all the actual words have been co-opted to mean something way cornier than this is. This is in its truest sense what it means to meet someone who is like a soulmate and 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 connect with them on a level that you maybe have never in your entire well, you definitely have never in your entire life. To feel completely and totally seen by each other yeah. as strangers. I like how structureless the, the all of them are, but especially the first one, because it's so much more wandering than the other two. Because they have so many times where they're sit, they sit in a cafe, then they sit and have beers, and then they're they're in the park and they're it just seems like they do so much in such a little amount of time and there's really no structure because really they would in theory if time were just regular they would have eaten one time they only had dinner left really as part of the day but they sit down in in a bunch of different places and they see so much that it makes it feel like it's unstuck from time and that they are in this weird parallel universe where they're experiencing like a lifetime of experiences in one night. I had as close as I will ever have to my own real life version of this experience. Really? It was not a stranger first date. It was a second date, Mm -hmm. but we had only had dinner once before. And he asked me to spend the day with him I don't even remember how he phrased it. He didn't say exploring the city or anything, Mm -hmm. but he didn't tell me what we were going to be doing. He just said, like, spend the day with me. And we went to a Yankee game. And after that, we ended up walking around Manhattan for the entire day and into the night. We went to, funny enough, we were just talking about it the other day, Upright Citizens Brigade. (laughs) We stopped at a bunch of different places to have a drink, to eat something, just to like to wander through the park. We basically had this wow, a similar date. And if I was listening to someone talk about this right now, I would be a little like, oh, like, okay, you know, but but it's true. I mean, it's real. And and so I hadn't seen this movie then. It wasn't, I think, until maybe a few years later that I saw this. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I has I like had it in my head and was thinking of it in this way, you know, <laughs> but, but I remember the first time I watched this thinking like, Oh, I know this feeling that they're feeling. I know this. I've lived this. And the way that we watched it, at least in, for my own personal experience felt s- so exactly precisely real. Wow. Like that is what it felt like to me. That by the end of that, I I knew. That's remarkable. And I can attest that as someone who has not experienced that, that the movie felt equally as real. I, there was no part of me that thought this is a stretch. This is whatever. I thought it was as real to a true, genuine experience that anything could be. There's a line in Wedding Crashers, funny enough. True love is your soul's recognition of its counterpoint in another. And that's such a perfect 
I think summation of, of what this felt like, like that they were two people who were maybe living their lives from the beginning on track to find each other. It certainly feels that way if, it, if it's not the truth. And not to skip ahead, but what I liked about the third one, and I'm sure we both knew was going to happen before we even watched it, is that it shows you that just because you are soulmates, does A, doesn't mean it's going to last forever and that's okay. Although, you know, we don't know what it Yeah, we don't know. Mm-hmm. But, but also that just because you're soulmates, it also doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect forever. Yeah. Which thank God for that. Who wants it to be perfect forever? That's why I love the third one's my favorite one. And that's one of the reasons. But what I like also about the first one is that there are teeny moments where the the magic of meeting someone new and being in that first beginning stage is a tiny bit broken. Like they, their little flaws peek through just a tiny bit when they're sitting and she gets the palm reading. And he cannot resist but be like. I mean, that's that's very nice and all. I mean, that, you know, we're all stardust and you're becoming this great woman. I mean, but I hope you don't take that any more seriously than some horoscope in a daily syndicated newspaper. What are you talking about? I mean, she knew I was on vacation and that oh, we didn't God. know each other and that I yeah, was going to become yeah, this great yeah, woman. Yeah. But I mean, what was it? <laughs> I am learning bullshit. I mean, that, that's way condescending, you know? I mean, she wasn't even doing me. I mean, just I, if opportunists like that ever had to tell the real truth, it would put their asses out of business. Even though she's experiencing what she believes to be a genuine moment, he cannot help himself but assert what he really feels. And then he does it again later when they are by the river and the poet writes them a poem with milkshake in it. And he's like, That's wonderful, no? Yeah, yeah. You know, he probably didn't just write that. I mean, you know, he wrote it, but he probably just plugs that word in. You know, whatever, milkshake. What do you mean? Nothing. I loved it. It was great. (laughs) Thing is, is he even tries to stop himself for a second because he can't. He doesn't. He thinks it's bullshit. He tries to let it go, but she presses him. He literally can't hold it in. He has to say it. His stand out more than hers. But I know that I found that there were times where she did did something that might have gotten on his nerves or like some sort of flaw was was accentuated. I can't think of an example right now, but I know it happened while I was watching. And I just that made it felt even more real to me because at a certain point, you can't help but let some not so great qualities come through. What are you thinking? I'm thinking about the ending. When they make the plan to see each other again, there wasn't, I mean, obviously I knew two more movies existed, so I knew they had to in some way meet each other again. But I knew that something was going to get in the way of them seeing each other on the time. I knew one of them wasn't going to show up. I had a feeling it was going to be her. I didn't think it was going to be for a reason that she says in the second one, but I had a feeling it was going to be her. And I think that it's, cool that even though a person at least in my opinion I thought it wasn't going to happen it doesn't make it feel less exciting and hopeful at the end you still have the chance to say that they will see each other again and even if they never saw each other again the entire experience was still worth it yeah it's still something to treasure forever 
I think I'm ready to move on to the second one, unless you have something else to say. The only other thing I wanted to say was, did you notice at the end when the camera panned back through a bunch of different places that they had been without Mm -hmm. them, Mm -hmm. like just the scenery of the places, regardless of whether they ever saw each other again for years or potentially a lifetime, they would have reflected back on that experience and seeing a shot of each of those places without them in it felt like I was watching a memory. Wow. That just gave me goosebumps. (laughs) Yeah. I bet that's why they did it. And it sort of also drives home this point that a lot of art has where for them, those places change them. But the places stayed the same also. It's not as if they made a mark on the place, but that place made their mark on them. And they were just one out of millions or billions of people that are going to walk through and have their own specific experience and memory of that place. Yeah. And the place is just going to go on existing as it's always existed. One complaint I do have about the second and third is that there's so much exposition in the beginning. And it's to me, you know what my first note on the second one is I wrote previously on before sunrise (laughs) 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 because that's genuinely what it felt like. Yes. It was literally intercutting the movie into this movie. I'm like, you guys, <laughs> what are you doing? We got to leave the people who don't like, know please. what's going on. We need to leave them behind. Like we yes. cannot, <laughs> we cannot hold their hand. They got to figure it out. <laughs> I don't care if it's been nine years since they saw the last I truly one. Don't. Go to Blockbuster. <laughs> Honestly, we cannot care about them. We cannot hold their hand. That is it went on for so much longer than I thought it was going to, too, because I almost didn't write that down as a note. But it went on for so long that between him talking about it and then literally seeing again the experiences. I, I think both Ethan and Julie are really great actors together. I don't think Ethan was a very good actor outside of his scenes with her. I yeah. don't know if he was uncomfortable and I could sense that or what it was, but or maybe it's just that I because I hate the exposition, but. Mm, but even in the third one when during the scene that i said was boring i thought his acting was bad yeah but when they're together i don't think it's bad and that felt that first scene where he's in the bookstore just felt so long again it dragged finally cut to her standing there i was like thank the good lord (laughs) she's here we can stop this i also i wonder if they did this on purpose but his face when he sees her was a little underwhelming. I wonder, I was wondering if maybe they left it open to see, still keep the audience on uh, hanging if he knew her still, if this was a surprise to see her that this was the first time he'd seen her since, or she was still in his life. I guess maybe they were trying to keep that still a mystery. That's but interesting. That I found his it. reaction to be not what his reaction would be if he really was seeing her for the very first time, especially when he, the movie continues and he goes on to talk about what his life has been like since that. I was 
I was thinking, especially after the fact, his reaction wouldn't would have been much more overdone. Not in that a, had to be the reason. Yeah, it had to be that they were like, "Oh, keep the audience guessing. How, do they know each other? Do they not? Did she show up?" <laughs> or one of those situations where you're so surprised mm-hmm. that you almost freeze and have all your reactions inside your head. Yeah, could be, but it didn't even still his face didn't say that to me. Mm-hmm. I think it, it just was not what his reaction would really have been if the reality was the reality. You're saying because maybe they wanted us to think, oh, they've been together yes. all this time yeah, that's and she's just meeting him at the yep. end of his. It couldn't you couldn't yeah. tell from his reaction whether or not he was surprised to see her because it's been nine years and he hasn't seen her or whether or not he wasn't <laughs> expecting her to meet her at the bookstore because they said they would meet for lunch in 10 minutes. So, <laughs> <laughs> so and they definitely did that on purpose. Her reaction, her face, too. I'm probably looking too far into it, but what I would like to imagine about that too is that even though they haven't seen each other in nine years, they've been so connected that whole time Mm. that it's almost as though like no time has passed. It's true. That's a much more optimistic read than what I gave it. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're probably right, but yeah, they did it for just another thing that not to skip, but another thing that really just grinded my gears about this one is that is how long they waited to discuss what their relationship statuses were. I clocked it. It was exactly at the halfway point and it just felt so writery to me. It felt as though they purposely. Oh, they did. And that, and that annoyed me because normally I don't feel that way at all through all three. And so that moment when they finally talk about it, so I read in that article that you're married with a kid. That's great. Yeah, he's he's um he's four. Uh-huh, what's his name? Henry. Little Hank. He's so much fun. Oh wow, I'm sure. And your wife, what does she do? She teaches elementary school. Do you do you have kids? Yes, two. Oh shit! What? I left them in the car with the windows up. It was six months ago. You didn't know, okay? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but um I want to have kids someday. I'm just not ready yet. No? Yeah, I'm in a good relationship, though. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. good. What's he do? He's a photojournalist. He does a uh, wall coverage. And especially that the thing that she says is, I've read that you got married and have a kid. I was furious. I was thinking, you know that this is all anyone's thinking about this entire time, and then you drop it in like it's nothing, and it's halfway through. That's interesting because I wasn't thinking about it even once. I didn't even cross my mind until they said it, and then it was like a gut punch. See, I was thinking about it. Or, you know what? You know what? You actually might be right. It wasn't until she said it that I was thinking it must have been in the back, it, just as though it was in the back of mind without me actually thinking about it actively. Once it happened, I was thinking, you guys suck that you waited so long for this to be what they're talking about, and especially what the news is. And then it just took such a gut-wrenching turn after that. I thought the second half was the better half of the two. I thought it Didn't was you? better. I did, yeah. but it was it was so devastating to me. I don't, I thought every conversation they had after that was so sad that I I cried through most of the second half of the movie from the sec, from when they were on the boat through the end, I was crying because him talking about what his life has been like, because it seems as though while it 
obviously the night was as impressionable on her as it was on him. It seems like he has been living with it day in and day out. And she has really only had it awaken in her in specific times. And really when she sees him, when she has that conversation with him in the car and it all comes out, but it seems like she hasn't been battling with it the way he has. And to think about that reality was so sad when he talks about how, when he was going to get married and he thinks that he saw her. In the months leading up to my wedding, okay, I was thinking about you all the time. I mean, even on my way there, I'm in the car and a buddy of mine is driving me downtown and I'm staring out the window and I think I see you, not far from the church, right? Uh, folding up an umbrella and walking into a deli on the corner of 13th and Broadway. And I thought I was going crazy, you know, but now I think it probably was you. I lived on 11th and Broadway. And he probably did? Yeah. I mean, and when he talks about how he thinks that because he's been thinking about it so much and he wishes he had been with her this whole time and how he describes how he thinks that fate was off, that's that something happened in the universe that shouldn't have. I mean, what if your grandmother had lived a week longer, you know, or, or passed away a week earlier, days even, you know, things might have been different. I believe that. No, you can't think like that. It's... No, I mean, I know you shouldn't on most things, but... It's just, it's, on this one, it seemed like something was off. And she, like, presses him about it in that moment. And I just think to myself, what are you doing? Like, you can't see what he's trying to express to you. He's basically saying that he's been in love with you for nine years presently and hasn't been able to move on in nine years. It's a long freaking time to experience that emotion. That he, how he feels about his wife that he's with now, that he feels no connection to her whatsoever. I mean, it's funny, like, in the moment, I remember thinking that it didn't much matter the who of it all. I mean, that, that nobody's going to be everything to you. And that ultimately, it's just a simple action of committing yourself, you know, meeting your responsibilities that, that matters. I mean, what is love, right? If it's not respect, trust, admiration. And I, I felt all those things. So cut to the present tense, and I feel like I'm running a small nursery with somebody I used to date, you know? Oh, my God. Horrible. Some people might say, well, then why did he marry her? I know. I think part of him probably felt like he had to. But but also, I wonder if part of him was so heartbroken that he figured, no matter who it is that I marry, I'm not going to have that. So, like, it almost doesn't matter. I think that's totally what it was. I think he felt so stuck in that place that he just resigned himself that this was it. And that is what really was devastating to think about, that he had lived nine years thinking this is as good as it's ever going to get. And and potentially wondering, as much as he tried, I'm sure, to convince himself that there was a reason why she couldn't be there, there's no way he could have known. And so most likely wondering on and off for nine years if she just didn't have the same experience as him. Yeah. If he had, if it was all in his head. And when he talks about how he had the reason that he wrote the book was to find her. All right. Now I know for sure. You want to know why I wrote that stupid book? Why? So that you might come to a reading in Paris and I could walk up to you and ask, where the fuck were you? 
No. You think I'd be here today? I'm serious. I think I I wrote it in a way to try to find you. Okay, that's I know that's not true, but that's sweet of you to say. I think it is true. And he says it as if that he didn't realize that that's what he was doing. And I was thinking to myself, of course, that's what you're doing. (laughs) One of the things that bothered me was how cool she played it all. Agreed. When she finally breaks down in the in the car, I was relieved. I was thinking like, oh, my thank God. What are you doing? And that's why that's how I felt in that moment when he was describing being married to someone he didn't love. And talking about how the universe was off and she's like arguing with him. I'm like, are you kidding? Could you please just meet him a little bit? You could, I know that you feel it. Can you just express that? She's never had an issue expressing herself. So I, I was, it was frustrating that she was not meeting him in the middle. That scene made me feel like I was in a trance when they pulled up and realized they had to get off the boat. It was like, uh, yeah. this same actual feeling that they had of like, oh, uh, like, oh, we're here. That's, I felt the same way. And she starts to chip away a tiny bit when she has that conversation. We talked about how she thinks not being able to replace anyone and how each person she meets affects her. I feel I was never able to forget anyone I've been with because each person has their own specific qualities. You can never replace anyone. What is lost is lost. Each relationship, when it ends, really damages me. I never fully recover. That's why I'm very careful with getting involved, because it hurts too much. You can tell when she talks about that, that she's trying to like unlock what she means to say to him, and then she can't do it until uh, shortly after. But I also felt that way, that she was very, for the first three quarters she was very closed off from expressing how she felt it's sort of like what you were talking about with the first one where like some of the cracks or the flaws showed yeah this was like that but magnified because it showed how differently each of them handle their deepest emotions like where they put them how and when they express them their ability to express them yes because he's much more uh, ready for it. And he tries to extend himself as much as he can without feeling like he's exposed, without her reciprocating in any way. Because if the reality of the situation is, if he had walked out of that bookstore, she had been, if she had said to him, I've been thinking about you for the last nine years, I'm in, I still love you, let's be together. He That would have been it. Like it, he yeah. was ready for that the second he saw her again. He's been ready for that since he left her nine years ago. And so- he tries to lay that in, especially when he's talking about his marriage, basically saying, I'm, I'm unhappy. If you tell me that you want to be together, I will do it right now. He's just waiting for some signal from her that she feels an ounce of the same way. And it took so long for us to even find out that she wasn't happy in her relationship. Right. The way she presents it in the beginning makes us think that she's Totally satisfied. Totally. It's funny because in the first one, if I had to choose which one of them is the cynic, it absolutely would have been him. Totally. But by the time we get to the second one, that has definitely been reversed. And I think that maybe that actually is because of that experience. That experience is what turned her into that. Like she says in the cars. I was fine until I read your fucking book. It stirred shit up, you know, 
it reminded me how genuinely romantic I was, how I had so much hope in things. And now it's like, I don't believe in anything that relates to love. I don't feel things for people anymore. In a way, I put all my romanticism into that one night and I was never able to feel all this again. Like somehow this night took things away from me and I expressed them to you and you took them with you. It made me feel cold, like if love wasn't for me. She almost resented the night that they had. Yeah. She was saying that she's never been able to experience it. Basically the same emotion he was expressing earlier about never feeling that connection with his current wife because he has never felt a connection like with Celine. And she basically is saying the same thing only was not aware of it until she has it again. And she's thinking that my life since then has not been as fulfilling as I wished it had been. And I wasn't even aware of it until just now when I realized that this is what it was like. I thought I had, I had imagined some part of it and had romanticized it, but I feel now that it was real and that you took it from me. It's interesting to see how the pain in both of them from that night, nine years ago, for him, it's turned into feeling defeated and really numb. And for her, it's something that she tried her best to bury under a whole lot of stuff. And then when it finally comes out, understandably for her, it comes out as anger and resentment, as you said. And I agree with you that any moment throughout that this entire thing, if she were to say, I I want, I'm, I want you, I'm ready for this. He would have been ready, but she, I don't think she even knows that that's what she wants. Yeah. Because she's, it's like, he's, he's done his emotional processing or most of it over the course of writing the book yeah. over so many years that he's already probably gone through all the other emotions and has arrived at numbness. Whereas she, because it's been buried is just now processing it all. <laughs> yeah. She's fucking pissed. <laughs> and I don't think she wants to be with him until we're in her apartment and he finally gets her to sing him a song and the song that she sings. Then we realize how much that feeling and that love is still there and has been there the whole time because we don't even really know if she's still in love with him or has those feelings yeah we just know that she did at one point and that she's angry that she hasn't had it since then but we don't really know if it's still there for her Mm -hmm. until that song which was in my head for days She says, baby, you are going to miss that plane. The look on his face and the way that he says, I know. I know. 
I actually didn't think I was going to cry, but especially because we as the audience are so invested in this and we don't know what's going to happen. And yeah, I think when she said that, I actually said, thank God. <laughs> I, think I actually said that when it happened because I could, it was like agony watching this, not knowing if they were going to be together after. And the choice to have him say, I know, which is an answer, but even that is not really an answer. Right. Because does that mean he's most likely actually going to miss his flight? Yeah, but we don't know what that even means and what's that's, what that's going to develop into. And of course, that's intentional. This whole trilogy is intentional to make us reflect on our own lives, our own relationships, our own experiences through these characters. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, it's it's left up in the air like that. But my God, I watched the trailer for the third one right after I watched the second one. I was like, I what is happening? And then when (laughs) in in the the trailer, he said something about like, I think the opening scene of the trailer was them in the car with the kids. And I was like, I was just exhaled. I was like, thank God. I don't even care if they break up in this one. I just am glad they've been together since. Oh my God. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk about Before Midnight. I have a review that I want to read. So this is a review that Kevin T. Porter of uh, Gilmore Guys fame wrote on Letterboxd about Before Midnight. And it was so concise and wonderful that I, I I wanted to read it. He says, Hey, what a faithful rendering of the intimacy and conflict. What a horrible, wonderful gift to have the chance to communicate yourself, hear someone else communicate themselves, and then struggle in kindness to give up control and contend your truth without compromise. To know someone so thoroughly that you unintentionally hold on your ring, the key to their destruction, but the mercy to never turn it is really quite something. The last half of this movie is the marriage story meme scene, but quieter, truer, sadder, more gracious, and more cruel. Before Midnight understands the anger that comes when you zoom out from your relationship and behold its shape, naked dimension and definition, the edges that will surely cut two people when grasped. The climax of the Before trilogy is a vital verbal violence that those who haven't experienced in real life don't quite know what it's like to be loved so harshly. Mm. It is two people using every word and tone and trick they know to beg each other, please know me, please understand me. Being a mere decade younger than Jesse and Selene in this movie, my age-old obsession with my age is unhelpful, but I compare and I watch and I weep and I'm a sucker for these movies, man. I find myself wrapped by the idea of putting on miles. Delpy and Hawk are cursed with perpetual gorgeousness until they die, And yet the exceptional pleasure of this trilogy was the miles you see on their face. No dumb prosthetics, just two decades of time. Before Midnight is regarded as the rude awakening to the fantasies of the first two, but it's triggered in me strong feelings. I'd love an unreal day in Vienna as much as anyone, but really I want to share time with someone, live with sadness, and feel the miles tick by on our faces. The hardness of love seems wonderful to me. Five stars. I don't think we need to talk about it at all. I think that just did it for us. That is so much more encapsulating, encompassing, encapsulating. 
I don't even both. know and and, both. and articulate then uh, either of us uh, then either of us could ever even hope to be there's nothing more to say bye bye <laughs> that was so beautiful what the writer slash director did was take a deeply human experience and put it into dialogue and action and the hands of two incredible actors and film it for us all. And what Kevin just did was take all the emotion that's underneath the entire experience and put it into words. I've got to tell you, as much as I loved it, as much as I appreciated it, as much as I knew it was absolutely vital that we had a glimpse into a fictional but a fictional reality. I was not in the mental or emotional space to experience what I did. And I knew what was coming before I even started it. I knew what the third one had to be, but I found myself wishing throughout that there was just a a little bit of a break, a little bit more levity somewhere because it was almost like a microscope on a magnifying glass. That scene where he's kissing her chest as they're talking and then they lay down in bed and that whole thing. It was so deeply emotionally intimate that I was uncomfortable watching it. And I mean that in a complimentary way, (laughs) but like I did not want to watch them kiss. I was praying we weren't going to watch them have sex. It was too voyeuristic. And I've, I don't know that I've ever really experienced that before. Even in Call Me By Your Name, when it's incredibly emotionally intimate, yeah. I still was like, fucking give it to me. <laughs> this time I did, I didn't, I wanted to shield my eyes. It was too real. Yeah. Before we get to the, what the movie really is, I want to talk about the dinner they have. I don't know if it's just me. I thought I was paying attention pretty clearly, but the older woman who was sitting at the table, who didn't speak until the end, she appeared out of thin air to me. I was thinking to myself, where was she sitting at the table? I didn't see her this entire time. And then they just closed up on her. Uh, And who was she even? Who was she? What she communicates in that monologue is absolutely beautiful. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes, I can actually see him. It's as if a cloud moves away and there he is. I could almost touch him. But then the real world rushes in and he vanishes again. For a while I did this every morning when the sun was not too bright outside because the sun somehow makes him vanish. Yes, he appears and he disappears like a sunrise or a sunset or anything so ephemeral. Just like our life. Hmm? We appear and we disappear. And we are so important to some, but we are just passing through. And I'm glad we got to experience it. But as you said, who is she? What is she doing there? It was so jarring. Yeah. Half of her monologue, I wasn't paying attention because I was felt whiplash from what I had just experienced. (laughs) Because the whole thing felt... Like I was sitting at the table and then all of a sudden they cut and was her. Yeah. 
And it was a weird shot. It was over their shoulders through their. Sh- it was a weird. I didn't like it. It felt like they filmed her doing that outside of the everything else they filmed, which might have been the case, which is why we didn't see her until they did that. But it was a poor edit and it was a weird moment and it took me instantly out of it. And we understood, at least for the most part, loosely who all those people were to each other, except her, unless we both missed it. I mean, I don't know. I was pretty closely paying attention. I, I can't imagine that I missed it, but the beginning was a tiny bit boring. So maybe I did. The entire initial sequence where he's in the airport with his son was the most excruciating. uh, And I don't mean excruciatingly good. I mean, bad, bad, bad. Oh, I didn't feel that way. First of all, Ethan looked like he was wearing a wig. 70% of the movie. I don't know if he was. I I never realized how distracting that was to me. But it's like once I notice it, I can't unnotice it. Mm. And I'm pretty certain he was. The only scenes where he wasn't was when they were actually in the hotel room. Either that or whoever the hairstylist was needs (laughs) another job. I'm sorry. (laughs) I think what it was in the airport scene was the same as the previous one. It was too much exposition. Stop. Mm. If we haven't seen the first two and we're going into this blind, that's our fault. That is very true. I didn't notice it. It wasn't as glaring to me in this one as it was in the second. Didn't bother me. I liked seeing him interact with his son and it felt like true to how I would imagine that relationship to be. That I agree with. Yeah. So I liked seeing that. So it didn't distract me that much. I actually liked it. But I see what you're saying, that it it was super long. And again, it was this purposeful playing of the audience of where's Celine? What's going on? Where is he? What's happened? It's just, just like, do we need five minutes of guessing? We already had nine years of not knowing what's going to happen. Do we need an extra five <laughs> minutes of agony where we're not exactly. sure what's going on? Another thing that really bothered me is during the boring scene where he's talking about the book he wants to write. And going through each character, yes. like who gives a shit, is yeah. when the younger guy and his girlfriend enter the frame and she walks into the house and all the guys kind of stare at her for a minute, which like yeah. fine, like whatever. But the feeling that it gave me, and I, I'm guessing it was supposed to, is, is something going to come of that. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they sat her next to him at the dinner, I just was thinking to myself, please. Please don't let it go in that direction. We've seen that a thousand times before. Please. I was really glad that they didn't. I think what it was supposed to do, uh, maybe it was a little heavy handed more so that so much that it caused you to think it was going in a direction it didn't end up going as I think it was more just supposed to lay the groundwork of that. He has this quality where despite loving her so much and wanting to be with her he does have a a wandering eye they make a couple uh, Mm -hmm. references to it obviously the most direct being when she asks him if he slept with that girl on his book tour and i think that that's just a, a facet of his personality that i think they were trying to bring out but it was so over the top that it made it seem as though it was going down a a plot road that it wasn't doing yeah i think when she says that when they're in the car and that's all you think about what women Uh, i mean (laughs) i'm not complaining i'm getting a lot of attention 
<laughs> but you never stop ogling girls. Like I, I don't ogle girls. Like you think I, I don't ogle girls. I make love to them with my eyes. Oh wow! <sighs> I think that would have been enough. That enough. was enough. Yeah. And Agreed. listen, it's human nature. Like I, yeah. who, you know what I mean? As long as yeah. he's whatever, who cares? But it just, it was I a agree. little too like, <laughs> I know you guys can't see For those me, who but... can't see, she's way, she's <laughs> dangling a feather in front of us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was it a feather? That's interesting. I don't know. No, I, I, I don't disagree that it was a feather, but I just think that's an interesting, like of all the imaginary objects I could have been waving under your nose, that it was a feather. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I'm into it. But um, what I did like about the dinner scene is just because I found it hysterical when she is pretending to be the bimbo, she I feels that she hated you, that. I thought it was so funny. Hated it. It made me, <laughs> made my skin crawl. Hated it. I thought it was so funny when he finishes Romeo and Juliet. I thought that was funny. Well, I like, I like stories with a meaning behind it, like a really beautiful love story. Oh, sure, yeah. You know, um, I read this book once, uh, Romeo and... Juliet. And... Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow, well, you know it. It's very good, yeah. It's a play, actually. It's not a book, a play. It's just... Oh, I thought it was a book based on the movie. No, <laughs> no, no, a play, yeah. Oh, okay. 100% of the interactions between them at that dinner made me deeply uncomfortable. I didn't feel that way. <laughs> this is ridiculous, but it's like... You know those machines that can sense an earthquake before it's coming? And like yeah. their interactions during dinner felt like that. It it was like the the rumbling underneath what was gonna be coming. I hated it. Just get to it then. We know it's coming, just get to it. I agree. What do we think the purpose of so much at the beginning was? Especially with with everything that was said at the dinner, when the older gentleman talks about his wife. And what their relationship was like. And and he says that, which I loved, I wrote it down. He says, we were never one person, always two. We preferred it that way. What, what do we think the, the purpose of, of all that was? All that beginning stuff. Because none of the other two movies had it. Well, on a more zoomed out level, my guess is that part of it was pragmatic and they needed it to be longer because the studio mm. said, you can't make an 80 minute film got it who knows if that's actually true but my guess would be that's a bit of a part of it another part is probably that greece is so beautiful that they wanted us to see Mm. obviously not the dinner itself but some of the other scenes they wanted us to see more of greece yeah and the dinner scene i i mean i guess it's just meant to be like a commentary on love and relationships Mm. in life i guess i it was weirdly out of place to me in the in the context of what the other two are like Usually it doesn't have that meandering that happened at the beginning of this one. I would have been happy for it to go from the airport to the car to them walking to the hotel. Because I loved the car. And I even liked when they got out at the rest stop. I thought that was adorable when she talks to the girls in French and Mm -hmm. tells them what they need to get in the store. Okay, I'm the general. Captain Nina, vous allez me chercher du papier toilette. Oui. Major general. The general, okay. Captain Ella, vous allez chercher les rouleaux de papier qui sont tout au fond du magasin à droite. Oui. Private cleanup. Oui. You don't touch anything. And their whole conversation in the car, I thought, was wonderful. It really captured the spirit of what their relationship is like now. 
because it's got that qual that excessively verbose quality that the two of them have, but now it feels lived in and and familiar where before it was like exploratory. I knew the, I don't even want to call it an argument, but the friction between them in the car, I knew that that was really important to the story and how it was all going to play out. But it was just, I get that there's a decade of relationship behind them. All of our experiences in a relationship with someone pile on top of each other. And so when you're having a conversation about potentially taking a job or about missing your son and maybe wanting to try to move to another country, whatever it might be, that you're not having that conversation in a vacuum. You're having it with the context of all the other conversations and experiences over a decade. So I get that. But it was so clear that they had lost the ability to really hear each other Mm. and to validate the other's emotional experience that I just, while I liked it and appreciated it because it felt real, it I hated it. I wanted to say you both need to take a break and get yourselves together. You're not hearing each other. You know what it felt like? It felt overdue. Mm. The whole movie felt yes. as though they were having a conversation they should have had four years ago. You are 100% right. And that's what it, it felt like both of them were like clawing at the walls to get yeah to scream into a void at this point because they were just incapable of even getting to the point of what they're even trying to say because they've gone so long without discussing something that's been gnawing at them for so long that now that they are finally having it, it you can't even. It's beyond. I think that you just zeroed in on the exact heart of the entire thing. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> because when he was talking about missing his son, would he be open to moving to Chicago? Yeah, probably. But was that necessarily what he was saying? Not really. And as he says later on when they're arguing, he, he's like, I'm not saying we should move. I just want to talk about it. Can you be my friend for like two seconds so we can talk? Okay, two seconds. All right. And she, by that point, wasn't even in a place where she could have the conversation and say, listen, I know you really miss your son. And I know it's important to you to spend more time with him. So is there a way where I could theoretically, where I could take this job that I want to take and we can also figure out a way to see him more often or spend more time with him. Like that's the conversation that he wanted to have. Right. And this isn't to say I'm blaming it on her. I'm certainly not, but that's the conversation he wanted to have. And she, after, like you said, however many years of not sorting stuff out. seems like since their children were born, because that's what it really came back to frequently. It seems like since their kids were born. Which was what, seven years maybe? It, yeah, probably. I did feel as though she was way further on the end of the rope than he was. Mm-hmm. Because it seemed as though there was nothing that he could say that could get through. A couple of times she was able to say something that echoed in his ears, I think. Because you could tell that he would change stuff a little bit, what he was saying or how he was saying it or trying to recenter or refocus. But she felt definitely at the end of this. It was either they were going to have this blowout right now or she was just going to like leave and never come back or something like that. Because she felt the most done and he was 
definitely nearing that same point, but she was completely unable to have any kind of discussion. Which I guess makes sense if the second one where she buried her feelings for all those years. Yes. He lives in his feelings much more than she does. He also indulges his feelings Mm -hmm. for the sake of his work, which is on one hand is beautiful, but I'm sure when you're his wife, it's not so beautiful. I'm sure it's pretty fucking frustrating. (laughs) You know, what's what I found frustrating on her side was it's a, it's definitely a facet of her personality. And I actually know someone in real life who is like this. I love how every time she brings up an issue, it becomes an issue of all women and all men. She takes something that's happening to her and she magnifies it to this grandiose life point that she's making. She does it so many times in their argument. Women explore for eternity in the vast garden of sacrifice. (laughs) Wow, that's a sure sign from God. Yeah, that line is so damn true and it's been for 10,000 years, but that's enough. Okay, I don't want to be one of these women. Like marriage is important to gays or contraception to women's rights. It's the same with giving up my hopes. With the millions of women that have had to give up their hopes, I'm not going to do it. This is bigger than me. This means more than me. Wow. Bravo. The Nobel Committee is taking note. I'm just, hold on a second. I'm going to alert Sweden. Okay. I mean, it must be a full-time job carrying that much feminine oppression. It is. You suffered so much growing up in middle-class Paris. I mean, the agony in the trenches of the Sorbonne in the post-feminist era, I can't imagine. I think it's so interesting that she always resorts back to that analogy where every time she is trying to express a feeling, she compares what she's feeling to a massive group of people that experience that feeling. And she's probably right, but in that moment... He can't even. That's what I'm right. It's how are you supposed to enter into that? You can't because what's he what's he supposed to say? He can't. It's like she's representing (laughs) feminism, like the humanity of women, and he's supposed to solve it. Right. Exactly. Which makes it a much more arduous task than to just address what she's actually saying. When she repeatedly asked him if he slept with that woman. I asked you a question. If, while I was carrying that double stroller down the stairs and getting ass-raped in Pigalle, you fucked that little Emily Bronte girl. Okay, I, I don't know what, em- what, what Emily, what are you even talking about? The one that wrote the nice emails about Dostoevsky. Oh, Jesse, you're so right. The Grand Commander is the deepest message of all of Russian literature. If <sighs> you're asking me if I'm committed to you, the girls, and the life we built together, the answer is a resounding yes. So you did fuck her. Thank you very much. I wanted to wring his neck. To be honest, I don't even have as huge of a problem with him having slept with someone else as Mm -hmm. a lot of people might. Yeah, me too, actually. But the dishonesty around it is what I have the problem with. Be forthcoming. (laughs) Right. He should have just been like, yeah, but does that change how I feel about you guys? No. Then you at least just say, yeah. Then then you fight about it and you resolve it and you move on. Yeah. Because listen, it's one thing if he's a dishonest piece of shit, who's constantly sleeping with people behind her back, like then there's a problem. But when you're with someone for a decade and you're this deep in connection and life as they are, things do happen. 
We're all human beings, but I don't think he is a gaslighting person, but that felt like it. Mm. Just you can see how crazy it's making her in this moment and likely how crazy it's been making her feel over however many years it's been. And you can't just fucking say, she knows, you know that she knows. She knows that you know that she knows. Just say it. Right. Do you think that she meant it when she said that? I don't think I love you anymore. Yes. Really? You don't think she loves him anymore? If I'm remembering correctly, I think what she said is, I don't think I love you anymore. Do I, I don't necessarily think that means she doesn't love him anymore, but do I believe that she thinks she doesn't um, love him anymore? Yes. I think she's questioning that and has been for a long time, mm. but maybe that was the first time she verbalized it to herself just a minute before mm. and then had that sort of like epiphany feeling. And then walked back in and said it to him. Do you think so? I think I agree with what you're saying, but I didn't think that it was true. But I didn't know until the end. I think by her choosing to go along with the game after they just had what they had, you can almost see her deciding to play along. And I think to me, her making that choice was residing that what that whether or not she thinks it's true that she's not in love with him anymore that she's choosing to still find out for sure it made me feel a little unsettled because while i thought what he said like the the whole time machine thing i i thought was cute i thought it was adorable and beautiful in its own way and i'm glad that they it seems like they ultimately do stay together mm-hmm I believe that too. I don't think they really resolved any of the stuff they were arguing about. And of course we can't expect them to resolve it in that night, Uh but I didn't even hear them acknowledge the other's experience before deciding to move on and have that romantic night. I think what I saw it as is a need for a break. I think that they real, they had been pounding their heads against the wall for God knows how long. And I think that, at least in my head, they went back to it after mm. that, that it was just a, a, a breathing point for them to just take a second and take a break from the arguing and then they would go back to it. Okay. Maybe not that night, but shortly. I didn't, th- to me, the expectation wouldn't be that they went another four years without talking about it again. Oh de- yeah, definitely not. So I think that they, we're just taking a respite from screaming that they had just been doing and <laughs> we're, going to, we're going to go back to it. Maybe I'm projecting my own stuff onto the situation, but I just know while I wouldn't need it to be resolved and wouldn't expect it to be resolved that night, I would at least need to know that I was heard. I would at least need to hear him say, you know, I can see that you're feeling this, this, and this. And I know that it's because of this, this, and this. And I would ultimately like to be able to say that back to him and then be able to have that night. If I don't feel, if I feel, if we had that argument that had been boiling for who knows how long, and I was still left hanging, not even knowing whether he really could understand my perspective, I wouldn't be able to just like, even shelve it for that night. I I wouldn't be able to, I don't need to argue anymore, but I need to know that you at least get me and that 
then we can have the conversation in two days or a week or whatever it is. I think they might be like that though. They bounce from topic to topic and emotion to emotion as we've seen them in the preceding two movies that I think they probably could bounce right back to yeah. the place they just were in and, and re talk about it that night. I think they might've even that night still talked more, but it might've resembled more talking than <laughs> what it was before. So you're saying what, what I would have liked could have potentially happened that, that night. night. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense to cut through the noise of them just screaming that they needed that breather to then be like, okay, let's regroup. Let's talk about this. Actually talk about it. Cause he begs for that so many times. How many times does he say, if we're going to talk about it, like, let's talk about it. He says it like five times. But if you want to talk about it, I mean, really talk about it. I would prefer to have an unemotional, rational conversation. I mean, do you think we could do that? Would that be possible? Here we go. But at that point, like I said, I think she's just beyond that ability. She just needs to scream it out of her. Yeah. Then then she can maybe have a real conversation <laughs> yeah, yeah. about it. But he's not like quite at the boiling point that she was at. So he's begging for her to just be in the conversation. But she's just emptying her mind of all of the things that have been boiling up for this entire time. Because she can't even hear what he said. Not even about his feelings, but in a retort to her feelings. Yeah. She can't even hear that. Like my favorite line, probably of all three, is when he says, when she's talking about her singing and wanting to get back to it, and she misconstrues what he says, and he tries to clarify, and he says, I love the way you sing, okay? I fucked up my whole life because of the way you sing. That's the best line in the whole, all three, I think, in my opinion. And she can't even hear that. He's trying to get it through to her. He tries a couple of times and that's in res direct response to something she's saying. So it's not even he's trying to communicate a feeling that he's having. He's trying to get it through to her and she can't even hear that. So I think she needed the break to maybe be able to hear some of what he's saying. I bet for the last seven years, whatever it's been, she's felt like she hasn't been heard by him. Yeah. And so now that she's reached her breaking point and he hears her, she's like, literally, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> what did you make of, as they were walking to the hotel, the number of times that she asked him questions that felt like she was looking for, she was looking for him to validate that he still loved her, that he still found her attractive, that he still wanted to be in this relationship with her. Hey, can I ask you a question? Sure. If we're meeting for the first time today on a train, would you find me attractive? Of course. No, but really right now as I am, would you start talking to me? Would you ask me to get off the train with you? <laughs> well, I mean, you're asking a theoretical question. I mean, what would my life situation be? I mean, technically, wouldn't I be cheating on you? Okay, why can't you just say no, yes? No, no, I did. I no, said, no, no, of course. No. I wanted was... you to say something romantic and you blew uh, uh, okay. it. Okay. She asked him a bunch of questions uh, in a bunch of different ways that all pointed to the same thing. What did you make of that? Maybe she was looking to put off the fight she felt coming 
by trying to convince herself that they were still in the place that she hoped they were. Wow, Alexa, that's Uh, fucking true. I think you just nailed it. I bet she's trying to self-rationalize and think if I ask him and he's just, of course, honey, I'm just as in love with you as the day I met you, then she'll think, okay, then we're still there. And I don't have to have this conversation with him that she knows she has to have with him. He does not do the best job of giving her what she's looking for. No, it's not until she's screaming in his face that he finally says it. Yeah. One thing I didn't like that she said, uh, it might've just been in the heat, but like, I didn't like it. It just was so much more dismissive than she normally is. When she says, you always get like this when you drop him off. I was like, really? That's fucking shitty. Yeah. You don't need to say it like that. He's not allowed to experience this emotion every time his son leaves. That's incredibly heartbreaking for him. And I get what she's saying, that what she was trying to say is that he is a person who's driven by emotion and and would make a decision that he'd later regret in this moment. But she doesn't say that. She just dismisses the emotions completely and says, you always get like this when your son leaves. And is that when he says, or maybe it was a different time when she said, you always something else. And Mm. he says, I don't always do anything. I think it's a really vulnerable place for anyone but especially for a man to be in to be missing his son and feel like his son really needs him and to be able to articulate that to her and have it be realistically shut down yeah and granted she feels like she's been shut down in many Mm -hmm. different ways over many different years so i understand probably why she wasn't able to receive that from him the way he would have liked Right. But we haven't seen what she's experienced over all these right. years. We're only yes. seeing what we've gotten in the last 90 totally. minutes. And that is that he misses his son and feels like he needs to be there. Also, I think it was commendable of him to take so long into that argument to to say to her that I think he says, we live in Paris, France, for Christ's sake. Yeah, and you remind okay. me of it every single I day. I have orbited my entire life around you, and you know it. And I think it took him, she really yes. drove him there. It yes. took him a long time for him to be like, how about the fact that I'm, I gave up my entire life to be here, including my son? I he mean, could have very easily said that at the at at very the be- beginning. That could have been the first thing out of his mouth is that. And and I think it took him a long time for him to actually say that. And even then, he doesn't say it as harshly as he could have. I'm just asking for a conversation about what is something. Because he even says when he says to her, it sounds harsher to her. And, and the way he puts it makes it sound harsher when he says, If you don't want to move back to the States, we won't. End of story. All right. I am just trying to find a way where I could be a more consistent presence in his life. He's just asking her to present another option. He's trying to say how he feels about missing his son. He understands that they're in an unenviable position of what are, are they supposed to do because they live in Europe and he lives in America. So, but he's just asking for some kind of inch in the direction to where he's moving which is so understandable from his perspective but then once you realize that she feels like she's given up yeah regardless of the fact that they've been in paris Mm -hmm. she feels like she's given up so much to raise their daughters and not have time for herself 
to take the jobs that she wants. And like she says, to, to write music and to sing and all those things. And when she's talking about uh, walking them in the stroller for hours in the middle of the night while he wasn't there, it's understandable, right? Like you can see from his perspective why he's like, I I just want to have a conversation about it. Like his intentions are not to bulldoze her and force her to do anything at all. He wants to make the decision together. She can't even give him that inch because she feels like she's already given him a hundred miles over the years that he hasn't even noticed that she's given. One of the things I really love and appreciate about Jesse is that after she said, I don't think I'm in love with you anymore. He could have very easily been like, you know what? Fuck this. (laughs) Yeah. And, and maybe not forever, but at least for that night. But the fact that he's able to put all that aside and see the bigger picture and know that regardless of what's going on right now, this is the woman he's, committed his yes. life to and and will continue doing that pretty much no matter what. Yeah. That he's able to walk out there and even though she's <laughs> like, I don't want to talk to you. Like I want to be alone. He knows that even though that's how she feels in the moment, it's what's underneath a lot of this is actually a little bit of insecurity in their relationship mm-hmm. and a little bit of a fear of abandonment. And so even though she does actually want to be alone, what supersedes that is her need to know that no matter how hard she pushes, no matter what she says, that he's steady and there as a container for her and for them and that he's not going anywhere. And so yeah. I, I liked that when he came back out, he like, he didn't walk back out there to try to sort things out in that minute. He walked back out there to say his writer of fiction way of saying in this sort of like magical time travel thing. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. This is where I see us in our eighties, no matter what we do. And in fact, he actually gives her what she wanted when they were walking to the hotel. When he keeps saying that's me, he doesn't leave anything up to interpretation. It's very direct and and even when it's not direct, when he starts the game where he's talking about the time traveling and that's the game and that's indirect. But then even after that, he fully explains it. He's like, I'm just trying to make things better here. All right. I tell you that I love you unconditionally. I tell you that you're beautiful. I tell you that your ass looks great when you're 80. Uh, I'm trying to make you laugh. Okay. Right? I put up with plenty of your shit. And if you think I'm just some dog who's going to keep coming back, then you're wrong. But if you want true love, uh, then this is it. This is real life. It's not perfect, but it's real. And he just lays out what he's doing after he just did it so that there's no room for interpretation as to what's going on. And I love when he says to her, Hmm, I vaguely remember someone sweet and romantic. It made me feel like I wasn't alone anymore. Someone who had respect for who I was. That's me. I'm that guy. I assure you, that guy you vaguely remember, the sweet romantic one that you met on a train? That is me. That's really beautiful for him to say to her. How did it leave off for you? What were, what did, what were you feeling in the end? I weirdly felt okay. I felt like they were going to be fine. I don't know why, truly. 
because like you said, not one thing, forget resolved, addressed. I don't even know if we could call, I don't even know if we could call any of the issues they brought up addressed, but I weirdly just knew. That's why I enjoyed this so much because I wasn't ever worried that this was going to break them. Could have, because it's serious shit they're talking about. So it could, but for some reason, I didn't think it would. Through the next nine years, they're going to work it out. Does it make you sad to know that on this schedule, there should be one coming out next year. And we know that's obviously not happening. Yeah. In fact, in fact, I looked <laughs> specifically after it was over to what year it came out. I feel like there will be a fourth, but I don't know if that's just because I want there to be. But doesn't it feel right like that there should be? Maybe we'll, they'll do it in 18 years instead of nine. Mm. Do we know how old they are, the characters? I know the actors, we can go look it up, but how old are they supposed to be in each one? Well, he was 23 when they met, and this is 18 years after they met, so 41. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. They he say says it. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he says it. So to see them at maybe 59 would be cool, because at that point, their daughters will be grown, yeah. and so they'll be they'll have an empty nest, and to see where that they are and what they're doing. feels right, actually. That feels what the next one is, when it's just them again. Great. So it's settled. 18 years baby let's let's bring it back (laughs) call up Ethan Hawke I need to know how old the director is though put it on the sketch (laughs) he's 61 so he would be 80 wait no I'm thinking 18 years from now I'm wrong oh yeah no it's not (laughs) 11 years from now 2013 plus 18 what what is that suddenly I can't do math (laughs) I can never do math so it's not sudden for me (laughs) 2031. So 10 years from now. So he'll be the director, writer, director will be 71. So 2031, we're ready. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love to hear your thoughts on it. So reach out to us either on Instagram. We have an email, tickets, please podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you guys till next time.